This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. In Luke chapter 7, verse 18, we'll begin reading there. It says, And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. These things being, if you look earlier in the chapter, you see that the centurion servant being healed remotely was one of those things. You saw Christ raise the widow of Nain's son from the dead. These are the things that John the Baptist's disciples relay to him as he's in prison there. And John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we from another? Uh, John the Baptist, John uh, Baptizer, uh, as it's literally translated or transliterated. He's known as this to differentiate him from the brother of James. He's been placed in prison for denouncing Herod Antipas' adulterous relationship with his brother Philip's wife. Um, Matthew 11.2 tells us, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Uh, it's believed that he is held about ten months in a fortress palace uh, called Macheris, located to the east of the Dead Sea, what would be modern-day Jordan. We think about this John. He had once declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. He has just heard a tremendous uh, account of what Christ has done. Why would he now doubt? Why would he send those disciples to ask Jesus this question? Well, quite possibly, uh, first of all, the baptism was quite possibly their last interaction. Uh, Jesus operated mostly in the north, uh, in the Sea of Galilee area. Uh, while John, we know that he baptized at Bethany beyond the Jordan, uh, which was much closer to Jerusalem in the southern part of Israel. Uh, their paths may not have crossed since the baptism. As far as we know, John never firsthand witnessed any of Jesus' miracles. He had only heard of them. Uh, he, Of course, he heard from his disciples. It should have been a reliable source, but hearing just isn't the same as, as seeing. Uh, a third possible reason, the psychological and physical toll of imprisonment. Uh, possibly a, a situation where he was in solitary confinement. Uh, possibly uh, he was malnourished. Uh, any of these things could have caused John in a weakened state to doubt. And then maybe the reason that John doubted is because he's human like you and me. Uh, and, and we doubt, right? Now you, you say, well, I've never doubted that Jesus is the Christ, uh, but shall I say that when we doubt the other promises that God made to us, and in essence, we are questioning His integrity and His faithfulness, and thus His deity. Either God is everything that He claims to be, or else He is a liar. And if He is a liar, then He is not God. So let's examine the question that John asked. He says, Art thou He that should come? If we can phrase this another way, he's asking there, Are you the promised Messiah? We'll look more into that in just a minute. He says, or look we for another. What, essentially what John is asking here is, are you an imposter? Is it really another that we are seeking? I'd like to examine John's question in three scenarios. 
first of all, the, the literal scenario, the literal historical contextual as we see it right here in Luke chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 11. I want to examine that question from a universal standpoint. That is the dilemma of every soul since the cross. To take Pontius Pilate's question of what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ. And then the third scenario, the contemporary. I want to deal with some real life practical current issues. First, looking at the literal context. Art thou the Christ, or do we seek another? There's a classic riddle uh, that goes something like this. Uh, You have two men guarding two doors. Uh, One man always tells the truth, and the other always lies. You can't distinguish them uh, by their appearance. Behind one door is a priceless treasure. Behind the other door is a ravenous lion that will spell the end for you if that door is open to. You can ask each man one and only one question to help you determine which door to open. How do you ensure that you open the door to the treasure and not the door to the lion? Well, I can give you solutions to this riddle after the service. There's more than one. But uh, one question that is sure to help you none is to ask each each man... Are you telling me the truth? Because what will each of those men say? They will both say, yes, I'm telling you the truth. So the question John asked Jesus, uh, if we apply that, are you the Messiah or are you a pretender? In either case, whether Jesus was the Messiah or the pretender, he would have answered that he was truly Messiah, correct? So Jesus answers in a perfect way that only the Son of God could. Uh, I want you to notice as we begin uh, reading here, uh, verse 20, you see a repeat of verse 19 practically. When the men were coming to him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And Jesus begins to answer them, not with words, but with actions. Verse 21, And in the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. When I talk about the way that Jesus answered, he didn't answer John with a simple yes. He gave gave him a much more satisfying answer than that. Uh, The words that we see here, of course, in verse 22, Then Jesus answering said unto him, How dare you for questioning me, John? No. Uh, what kind of prophet are you? Some forerunner you are. Jesus didn't answer that way. Um, No, the good shepherd does not beat the sheep for doing sheepish things. The servant of Jehovah does not break the bruised reed. He does not quench the smoking flax. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Uh, James 1.5 says, that God gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Uh, Upbraid is a late Middle English word that means to scold or lambaste. You know, I'm reminded of how many times as a teacher and a coach and even as a father that I failed in in modeling the Heavenly Father in this way. 
But no, the Savior does not answer in a harsh way. Uh, Jesus even goes so far, uh, this is not a part of our reading, but he goes so far in verses 26 through 28 uh, to speak of John's character, to dissuade anyone from speaking ill about the greatest prophet of his dispensation. There's not one born of women greater than John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus gives an answer that satisfies him, and this is what he says in verse 22. Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. The first aspect of that answer is, he says, number one, see the works that I do. See what I've done. In John 14, 11, Jesus says to his disciples, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Uh, he's saying here, believe my words. Believe my claims that I am indeed the Son of God. But the second part of John 14, 11 says, Or else believe me for the very works sake. He says, hey, you may not believe my claim if I tell you I am the Messiah. But believe me for the works sake. And so what he's doing here is he is showing John that he is indeed the Messiah by his works. Uh, then secondly, see the scriptures fulfilled. I want you to keep your eyes on Luke 22 while I read to you passages that reference what Christ did. Of course, verse 22 tells, Jesus says here, go thy way. Tell John the things you've heard. And here are the things that he says. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. In Isaiah 29, verse 18, the prophet writes, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, verses 4-6 through six. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. What he's telling him there is that indeed, He will come and save you. Who is the one who will come and save? The one who brings these verses to pass. Who makes the eyes of the blind see. Who makes the deaf hear. Who makes the dumb speak. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The prophet writes again, speaking of the Messiah, The Spirit of the Lord God has come upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And again, the poor were also referenced in Isaiah 29 to preach to the poor, and here we see in the end of verse 22, to the poor the gospel is preached. The scriptures are fulfilled. The Old Testament says these things will be true of the Messiah, and in fact if you read through the gospels as well as the book of Acts, what you'll find is 29 times in the gospels you will find the phrase or a similar phrase that the scripture might be fulfilled. In fact, in the book of Acts four more times you find that, that Christ's work either in His crucifixion or in His daily healing, raising the dead and preaching the gospel, that the Scriptures were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is the literal scenario. And now the universal aspect. 
Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? For any person seeking salvation, the question, Art thou he that should come, is essential. Although at first it was strictly a Jewish question. He that should come was an abbreviated way of referring to the Messiah, the foretold one. The one who would bear the government on his shoulder. Many Jews were looking for a political, military deliverer, much like Joshua. Um, in fact, uh, Judas Iscariot was one of those. And when it became clear that Jesus was come to take away the sins of the world and not to overthrow the shackles of Rome, Judas cashed out. But for Jews and later Gentiles who wanted deliverance from their sins and who sought a heavenly kingdom and not an earthly one, Christ was and is the answer to the Messiah question. Throughout history, man has struggled with these basic questions. Is there a God? Or which God is the true God? If, if a God exists, then what behavior, uh, whether it be morals or rituals, will please this God? If there's an afterlife, how do I achieve the best afterlife? Or what Christians would refer to as heaven. Well, for those who are here this morning, I suspect a large majority of you have already had their questions answered. Yes, there is a God, evidenced both by general revelation through creation and special revelation in individual encounters with mankind. How do we please this God? Of course, adherence to His law is revealed by the Word that He has given us in 66 books penned by 40 men across 1,500 years. The means of salvation. How can one achieve that best afterlife? How can one... Uh, enter into heaven is through the answer to the question is Jesus the prophesied Savior of the world and the answer is yea and amen which means that it involves putting 100% of your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone and trusting in His finished work on the cross of Calvary to take you to heaven and may I say this if you have come seeking salvation this morning honestly there's no, there's no need to, end to, the way to, this, to, to wait until the end of the service it's the most important thing you can do. If you've come here to trust Christ, if you've come here to learn more about Him, I challenge you, stand up right now, head toward the back, and we'll have someone meet you by the time you get to that back door with Scripture in hand, showing you how you can know, how you can go to heaven, how you can trust Christ as your Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ without delay. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Nothing else that I can say during this message is more important than your need of a Savior. That's the universal aspect. Each of us have to answer the question, what then shall I do with Jesus which is called Christ? To ask of Christ, art thou he that should come? Are you indeed the Son of God? Or do we seek someone else? And then we have the contemporary aspect. A time-honored tradition, whether it be for good or for bad, is the questioning of what one has been taught in a sort of coming-of-age intellectual enlightenment. And I know that many of you may scoff even as I, as I, bro as I uh, breach the subject. Uh, that rite of passage, now it normally occurs uh, during the later teenage years and often coincides with an influential secular college professor who is challenging his students' dogma. Now, questioning the teachings of the church isn't always bad. Uh, in one case, it led to the Reformation. 
Uh, the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to verify that what Paul had said was true in Acts 17. In 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, Paul admonished Timothy to study the word of truth, to show himself as an approved workman and not ashamed. Again, he encourages Timothy to continue in the things which he has learned in chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, not just learned, but have been assured of. And the assurance that Timothy has is based on the character and the conduct of the one who taught him. In 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, we learn that the Spirit-breathed Scriptures, when studied, lead to surety and salvation, which is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. When the Scripture is learned and obeyed, the result is a perfect man, complete, mature, a servant, completely fitted and furnished, prepared to do every good work. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul, not tooting his own horn, but he's telling Timothy that diligent study and obedience to God's Word will result in a faith like the one that Paul has where he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You've all, if you've ever wondered where that song came from, it's right there. It's completely, uh, completely scriptural. Uh, note that questioning and searching turns out good when you look deeper into scripture to answer your questions rather than turning to the word of man. Uh, now you might say, well, that's circular reasoning. If, you d if I doubt Christ, so I look deeper into the Word that claims that He is the Christ, and we just keep going around and around. Well, it comes down to this. Uh, do you want to be a prosperous tree that is planted by the river of waters, that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither? That's what happens when you go deeper into God's Word to answer your questions. Or would you rather be a reed shaken by the wind? Uh, tossed about like the double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. See, you have crossroads here. And in this intellectual questioning, it is either looking to the Word of God for answers or looking to men for answers. One is a solid foundation. One is the chief cornerstone. The other passeth away. There's a growing trend in evangelical circles called Recovering Fundamentalist. I don't know if you've ever read any of this, but this group is made up of people, uh, generally speaking, who used to belong to churches like this one, but now they don't attend anywhere. Or they attend, uh, shall I say, a watered-down assembly where uh, others like them who question their faith um, didn't necessarily like conservative standards or music or worship style. The testimony of most of these recovering fundamentalists, or let's just call them what they are, ex-fundamentalists, uh, normally runs like this. Uh, they say something like this. I was hurt by someone in the church. Or, I found inconsistencies in leadership. Or, I had questions no one could answer. So, so they got out. Now, whose who's fault is that? Uh, well, I said earlier that every generation goes through the questioning phase. And so because of that, uh, each generation could look at the following generation and 
the boomers can blame the Gen Xers and the Gen Xers can blame the millennials and the millennials will one day blame Gen Z for the decline of the church. Uh, and indeed, it is a personal choice for each member of the next generation whether or not they will stay with what he's taught or whether they will uphold the virtues of their parents or better than the virtues of their parents, what God's Word itself claims. See, while we use the phrase second generation Christian, in reality it's a thing that technically doesn't exist. Now I know what is meant when people say that. They mean the culture of Christianity in one or two or three generations. But understand this, God has no grandchildren. Each of us has to personally deal with the question of Christ. And ask ourselves the question, is Jesus the promised one, or do I seek another? Will I choose Him as my Lord and Savior, or will I reject Him? And no parent can make that choice for his child. However, each parent can influence his child for good or for bad. And let me say this to you. I'm speaking to a, a good church with good families and good parents. And understand that when I say this, I say this with the recognition that good parents who practice good parenting can still raise a child who chooses evil, who chooses bad. Uh, one has to look no further than through the kings of Judah to find kings who, who sought the Lord with all their heart and yet where their children did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then their child would follow the Lord with all his heart. And a few generations later, the, the king would be evil again and Israel would have slipped into idolatry. I fully understand that it is the choice of each child of whether or not he will follow God, of whether or not he'll remain faithful. But I do wonder, however, if the negatives that we allow in our lives sour our testimony in the eyes of our children, of our neighbors, our co-workers, and to apply John's question to our lives, I want to say this. Do we cause others to look elsewhere for the true Christ or for the true example of a Christian? If I can adapt his question this way. When someone looks at us, would they ask this question? Is this Christianity or am I still looking? Now, I understand that physical appearance is only part of the story whenever we're trying to please God. But I can say this. If I see someone, if I see a, a gentleman clean-shaven in a white shirt with a black tie with a little black name tag right over here, I have no question. I can see him from a half a mile away and recognize right away that it is a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, we were at uh, Yosemite Falls just a couple of weeks ago as a, part of our, uh, as a part of our vacation. And approaching, I could see a family that were, uh, they were all modestly dressed. I could see from their I could see from the male's shirts, I could see tassels hanging down, two in the front and two in the back. On those who were adults, thick beards, a particular hat. 
And I could recognize right away, as you would even agree with me, as you are nodding your head, that these were Orthodox Jews. There was no question. I was able to identify them easily. Can others look at us, not just by what we're wearing, but our behavior as well, and look at us and identify right away, this is indeed the religion that I seek. This is indeed true Christianity. I don't need to seek another. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23 as we close. In Jeremiah 23, we find this. A big problem that I see in modern Christianity is going to be addressed by these verses. And when I say a problem with Christianity, I don't necessarily mean down at First Baptist Church in the big city, far removed from us, but I'm talking about right here. This church, churches like it, is that we make much of what God did in the days of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Talking about things that happened between 2,000 and 6,000 years ago. Not that we shouldn't preach on the Bible, and not that we shouldn't magnify what God has done. Miraculous things throughout Scripture. The parting of the Red Sea. The stopping of the Jordan to allow people to cross. Great victories like at Jericho, great victories uh, that David over Goliath, many of the things that we look on and we talk about these and we teach our children these and we can recite these stories. Read Jeremiah 23, verses 7 and 8 with me. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But, rather, they should say, The Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. See, Judah had this problem. When recalling what God had done for their nation, they were pulling up events from 800 years ago. And Jeremiah said, one day you'll be praising the Lord. And yes, even though it is true that God brought you through Egypt, He brought you from Egypt, brought you through the Red Sea, one day you'll be praising the Lord for what He did in your lifetime. And your religion will be real to you because it happened to you. It's not just something you read about in the history book, but in fact it's something that God did in your life. I'm afraid that we don't have testimonies of prayers that have been answered after 10 or 20 years of praying because we're not disciplined enough to pray that long for something. We can't cite how God miraculously provided a car or a refrigerator or for money to repair an appliance that's broken down because we never asked God for it and we just put it on the credit card. We can't point to how God mended a relationship or reconciled a marriage or extended grace to cover a multitude of sins because when things got tough, we walked away. 
we never truly forgave and forgot, or if we're on the other side of the coin, we were just too stinking proud to ask for forgiveness. We, ha- we don't have the testimony of what God's done in our life because our faith has been too short. I speak this to our shame. We've talked about the literal context of John the Baptist's question and the universal in that every man needs to answer the question of what will I do with Jesus. The contemporary issues dealing with the fact that so many times we can point back to what God did for people a hundred years ago and we ask, hey, what do you have to praise God for? We sit in silence. We rack our brains to think, how long has it been since God has done something personally for us or where He's answered a specific prayer that I had? But we bring it back to the personal question. What will you do with Jesus? Sinner, if you're still here waiting for me to finish, to trust Christ, well then, I'm finished. If He's convicting you, it's time to move. He is ready to save. And believer, are you ready to show the world that you have what they're looking for? Let's stop settling for status quo Christianity and strive for the Spirit-filled supernatural lives where we're meant to live. Would you bow your heads? Pastor, please close your seat fed. I'd like to offer this prayer as we, as we conclude. If you're here in need of the Savior, maybe you're simply doubting your salvation as John doubted. Take care of that doubt today. Take care of that need today. Trust Christ as a Savior. He is indeed the one that you're looking for. And Christian, my challenge to you is, are we demonstrating that faith in Christ that will show the world, our families, our children, our co-workers, that what we have is undisputably the way, the truth, and the life. Father, would you please bless the remainder of this service. I pray that you would move and that we would be obedient. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 757- We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.